David, we're back. Unfortunately, a uh, quick turnaround here. And uh, I feel like this is a bit of a, I, I feel like we should be wearing black on the episode today. It's uh, a tough pill to swallow the Brewers, of course, losing back-to-back games uh, here at American Family Field. And so abruptly, the 2023 season's over. It's that, that to me is like the hardest part to like imagine. Not that I necessarily were, was certain the Brewers were heading to the World Series, but the fact that the the season's just over that quickly. It it happened really, really, really fast. Yeah, you kind of blink and it's over, and that's how it is with the three game series. You need to show up ready to play, and uh, the Brewers didn't show up ready enough clearly, and the D backs took advantage of them. Uh, I, I was talking about it with our dad a little bit. Was it overconfidence that played into it? Was it uh, was it something else? And I think if anything, it was that they played a little bit too tense. They knew they were the favorites. They knew they had to play well, especially that game one. They knew that that game one was important to win with Gallon and Kelly coming up in game two and three. And they, it felt like they weren't loose enough. And uh, then they put the pressure on themselves, weren't able to come away with that one and translate it into the second game uh, where they fell. Was that everything? No, but I think that maybe played into it. I'm curious where you think they were playing tense because as a whole, the offense seemed I mean they got on base they got hits obviously we all know they needed to cash in more but it seemed like the offense you know if you look at like even looking at overall just like the Brewers the Brewers lineup you know Yelich batted 500 in the two games Contreras 333 Canna 375 Adames 571 Donaldson 286 Santana 286 and granted these are two games so um obviously one 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 bounce here one bounce there like Tyrone Taylor I think he had one hit the home run but obviously he had that rope of a line drive down the third baseline that Longoria snagged for the double play that was just sucked the life out of American Family Field there with the bases loaded in I don't know middle of game one so I mean on the surface you look at the numbers like you you said to tweet that the Brewers had uh the second best ex-Woba I think it was uh of, of any team so the Brewers are advancing to the Sabermetric World Series, which is not a thing, unfortunately. Well, fortunately, what? actually. <laughs> um, but what, what would win in this Sabermetric World Series? Well, I, mean, I guess the Trump stat. The Trump stat? I, I mean, I, I guess war. I don't know. I, you're going to calculate war off of two games, but I, I don't know. Or what's the uh, expected win probability added? I don't know. Maybe that. I, I don't know. But I, I guess to get back to my question, where do you think they played – you know, where did they where did they press? Um, was it the pitching staff? Was it the offense? Was it the offense specifically when they were facing the D-backs bullpen? What were, what were your thoughts there? I think later in the game against the D-backs bullpen in game one uh, was a time that they were, uh, especially against uh, some of the lesser pitchers against, uh, I mean, Thompson, he was okay. Uh, Ginkle, they just got overmatched by. Uh, but otherwise, I would say it was when when they had opportunities. They did have, of course, the Taylor line drive. What are you going to do about that? I'm not going to fault the Brewers for not scoring on the Taylor line drive. And there was the Freelick uh, line into the double play. I think that was Freelick, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Off, uh, In off, game two. Yeah, w- when uh, when it hit Gallon or, or yep. he deflected it. But uh, but as a whole, the Brewers had so many runners in scoring position, and they scored so few runs. It felt like with runners in scoring position, they they were playing. It just they their at bats didn't seem great. Uh, if you look at the first inning in game one, 
Uh, they had first and second with with nobody out, and they went strikeout, strikeout, strikeout after that first run. Uh, you got one, but still, you, you could have had more. Uh, and then they had, uh, was it the the Donaldson one? Was that in game yeah. one? Yeah, Popped game one, yeah. With, with runners on and uh, second and third, I think it was. Yep, and, one out, second and third. That Those are the ones that always bug me more because it's easy to say, like, oh, we didn't get a hit. Like, two outs, bases loaded, you know. Obviously, you want to cash that in, but it's going to take a hit to, to get it's him in. It's the one out, yeah. Yeah, it's the second and third one out, and yeah, those are the ones that, that kills. And yeah, the Brewers definitely did not cash in. And, and there was, again, two games. You had the Tyrone Taylor double play. You had the Freelick double play, which are part of the game. They, they happen. And you had a couple. I mean, there were just several barrels, too, that I mean, like Adames, 102 miles off the bat. Up the middle, I think he had mm-hmm. two hard hit ground balls. Adamis hit the ball pretty hard all those two games, um, and you just had—I don't know—there were there were just a lot of those. And then, of course, on the flip side, you had the Corbin Carroll broken bat double. Um, you had the the flare single from the D backs, and the Brewers had you know a couple of those too. Uh, you know, I know Santana had a ground ball that snuck through the infield. Yelich had one. Um, can't remember which Brewer had that flare single. Contreras maybe had one. So like, it's not like, you know, the Brewers only hit the ball hundred miles an hour plus, but there were certainly some bad luck slash good defense slash right place, right time, wrong place, right time or wrong time um, that, that went on. But I, I don't know. I think, you know, when you, when we look at like, you know, what, what went wrong for the Brewers to me, the first place you got to start is with the starting pitching and, Corbin Burns got plenty of flack, so I don't really think I need to add more to to that already because I, I know he got pretty lit up um, across Brewers Twitter. The way I look at it in, in summary is essentially you had Corbin Burns' worst start of the season. I mean, four innings, four runs, and the most important game of the season. So how it, how he got there, whether they were really bad pitches to Carroll or you know Marte, Moreno, like whether whether they were good or bad pitches, the reality is he pitched four innings and gave up four runs when we when we needed him. And so that, that really, really hurt to me. It started with the starting pitching and then Freddie Peralta, of course, was excellent in game two. Um, but I don't know, maybe council left him in a little bit long and yeah, I mean, I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts in terms of what went wrong? Um, and, and did you really see it starting with the starting pitching or more on, on the offense for scoring five runs across two games? Definitely starts with the starting pitching. Talked about how the offense needed some, uh, they, they did get, it was a, they got three early runs off fought in game one, uh, which they did need to do, but they stopped adding after fought came out, which again, you weren't, you weren't facing a bullpen full of Kevin Ginkles and Paul Seawalds, uh, Joe Mantiply, who was not very good this year, Miguel Castro, Ryan Nelson, Ryan Thompson, they're capable relievers, but they aren't guys that are, that you, you can't score off of. And the Brewers didn't score off of any of them. Uh, so that was a problem. But I think it started with Corbin Burns because uh, he sets the tone and he did set the tone initially well. He started, he got eight of the first nine guys out to begin the game. Uh, but once he allowed those home runs, uh, you could you could feel the energy sucked out of the, the stadium a little bit and feel the momentum like Arizona's, Arizona kind of realized like we could win this. We could steal this game one from the Brewers and, and having fought start that game. Uh, was was huge because then they knew that they had Gallon and Kelly and they could play free and easy, uh, whereas the Brewers went a little bit more the uh, the tense route, uh, I thought. And like it's it's like you know 
the pressure's on us. We're going to deliver uh, and, and kind of grit your teeth and, and go uh, play hard. Where it was that necessarily the issue? I, I don't know that council made a speech and told them to grit their teeth, but uh, but clearly, one, uh, to me, it was the, the turning point was the inning where Burns allowed uh, the 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 was it two home runs? I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Two run shots. Back. Back. Yeah. Solo shot back to back. Yeah. Carroll. And then, um, not Marino was, was the one that took the, took the lead. I'm blanking on who hit the solo uh, shot. Marte. Marte. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that absolutely was. Cause Burns was dominant at, I mean, at that point he had been cru- not cruising, but he was, he was pitching really well. Yeah. He was, uh, he was yeah, mostly. Yeah. yeah. He was, he was pitching well, um, and was looking good. And I don't know. I mean, bullpen wasn't, wasn't great, wasn't terrible. Uribe had a rough outing in game two, of course, the wild pitch coming in uh, that inning after Freddie was was taken out. Uh, let's just, let's go there. I, I'm, we talked a lot about, you know, we talked about the starting pitching, the offense. Let's take a look at Burns and, and Freddie. Your thoughts, anytime we got a playoff game, right? We, we overanalyze every single managerial move for better, or for worse. So let's start with, the, I think, the easier one. With Burns, did the Brewers take out Burns too early? We, I know we had a discussion like in in section two thirty three. Um, so we just like copy and paste our our discussion we had in the game. But uh, what what are your thoughts looking back now that the game's over? Did they take him out too early or or not so much? I think I maybe would have left him in for uh, one more batter. I'm trying to look at exactly where the spot was. He got pulled in the fifth. Yeah. So it was it was Perdomo and Carroll that okay that both walked. That's right. And then Marte. Was it two on? Was it two on? Nobody out. Yeah, first and back second back after walks. back-to-back walks. In the previous inning, he'd allowed a leadoff home run. Uh, and yeah. the inning before that was was when the back-to-back. Yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. I remember in the I remember in the moment saying one more batter, give Burns one mm-hmm. more batter. But now, but but looking back after the game yeah. now and seeing the Brewer strategy and the way that they pretty much were clear, very clearly going to say, hey, we're going to use everybody if we need to, and everybody's going to go an inning or less and make sure everybody's available for game two. I think that I think that really was the right call. I, one you know, one, one batter early would have been too soon. I, I actually do think that was actually the perfect time to pull him. Yeah, I, I agree, actually, now looking back. Yeah. Uh, this is makes for bad podcasting, bad radio. <laughs> What about what about Freddie? I mean, he was no hit through like four and two thirds or something, and the wheels fell off pretty quick, which we've seen with Freddie. But at the same time, I I think he's only I, I, what was his what was his his line? Did he he gave up what four three earnings. four four yeah, yeah four earned Officially. runs? Which I think I think he's only done he's only did done like once or twice since like July or something in the second half, something like that. Yeah, I forget the second I forget half, what I saw. Uh, either two or three out of his thirteen yeah. starts, I think two. Um, yeah. I, to me, I would have I would have managed that the exact same way that Council did, uh, at least with Freddie. And when Freddie was taken out, he was rolling. He, he hadn't allowed a hit until two outs in the fifth. Allowed a home run to Alec Thomas. It wasn't like it was. I mean, I'd have to go back and look at where the pitch was because I was sitting in terrace box. So I couldn't really see where the pitch was. But I mean, Thomas hit it well, but it wasn't it wasn't some sort of missile that was the third deck that was the one down the right field line down the yeah, right field just line kinda, yeah. 351 okay yeah, yeah 350 so, feet like, i was like mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and the big the big thing to me was was when he started the six by walking perdomo uh that can't happen where you walk the nine hitter 
and go back to Carroll. I mean, Carroll's their best hitter. We all know that. And he was leading off. So when you walk the nine hitter, uh, you're setting yourself up for failure. Then when you allowed a double to Carroll, I know Carroll didn't hit it that well, uh, but I thought Freddie's been rolling. So he allowed a, a, I wouldn't call it a bloop home run, but he allowed a home run that was not that well hit. Yeah. And that's a fly walks, out. He walks Perdomo on a full count. And then Carroll hits a ground ball down the line. That was, it was yeah. a broken bat ground ball. Yeah. I don't think that that you're like, oh man, Freddie's lost it. Uh, his velo, I know his velo dropped to like 92 on a couple fastballs, and people on Twitter are like, oh yeah, he's done, he's done. Uh, but then he came back, and I think in the Carroll at bat, or maybe even the Marte at bat, uh, was back up to 95. So I, I don't think it was evidence, at least on that regard. I, I couldn't on that front. I couldn't see if his command was any different, really. But to me, I, I would have left him in for Marte. Uh, and then Marte hit that single, and then yeah, I agree. Then you take you, you got to take Freddie out at that point. Uh, but I I wouldn't have taken Freddie out any earlier. Uh, you know your bullpen is. I don't know if you are down anyone, but you know your bullpen's a little bit thinner because they're all going for the second straight day, mm-hmm. because you pretty much used everyone. So you do want to be mindful of that. Personally, I I would have managed both Burns and Freddie the exact same way that Council did. Let's take a pause on on the managerial analysis. Um, take a, a quick pause and talk about the atmosphere at American Family Field. Two of us got to go to game one together and uh, sat in, what was I think, 233, um, right in the left field corner of the bleachers. Um, what did you think about the atmosphere at American Family Field? So we sat, we sat in the bleachers for game one. You were at game two as well, sitting in terrace box. But what did you think, David, about the atmosphere at American Family Field? And I'm assuming it was a little bit different in the bleachers versus terrace box. And, and which one did you like more? Definitely rowdier in the bleachers as is kind of the stereotype, uh, but just different. Yeah. I mean, it was a great environment. It was more so the difference in the game because game two, everyone approached with a little bit of trepidation. Whereas game one was, was more ambition and we got this game. We're going to win, take a one, nothing lead. We're favored. We got Brandon fought for the D-backs and we've got Burns going. So it was it was much different in that regard. Uh I would say that's the biggest difference, more so than than the fans. But it was it was a good environment. Uh, I I would say it was kind of similar to the NLDS against Colorado. Definitely doesn't match up with the NLCS against the Dodgers. But yeah. I would say I would say kind of similar to to uh, I was at game one of the 18 NLDS, uh, the the earlier innings, I would say, of that that game. Uh, Moustakis walked it off. So, of course, different result. Uh, place went crazy when he walked it off. So that was what about of course, what about with the roof close? Was that was that different? Because I know it was open, open for game one, closed for game two. Was it was it noticeably louder in game two because of that? I don't know if I'd say that because I think the fans generally weren't as loud in game two <laughs> because of the circumstances. So hmm. I, I thought I, I would, I would have to, yeah, have I, a bigger sample size. <laughs> there we go. I thought, I thought the fans were not, not as up and into it in game one as I expected them to be. Um, I don't know if it was, I don't know if that's just me being an overzealous fan or, or Brewers fans being confident in the fact they were going to win and move on. So it wasn't deemed as like, this is just kind of step one of getting into the next playoff round. But I, I, people weren't, I mean, people weren't standing a ton during the game. Like they weren't, I, I don't know. I was, again, we were in the bleachers, so maybe it was different on field level. It seemed like I saw people standing a little bit more in field level 
um, than bleachers or, or terrorists or anything like that. But I, I overall, I was actually surprised. I thought fans weren't quite as into it as I thought they would be in a playoff game. Just my two cents on that. I, I guess I would agree with you. But I think part of it is also that it's the wild card round. So it's not even the, the division series yet. So it's a little bit more distant, like in the future, what we're talking about having to win this series and then the next one and then the next one to get to the World Series. So you're still kind of a ways away. I think that played a role. And yeah, because I think most fans expected that we were going to win, both of us included. Uh, so I, there wasn't as much urgency there. Uh, and then by game two, it was such a disappointment after game one that yeah. the atmosphere was a little different. Certainly still still a good atmosphere, uh, but not not quite the excitement of game one. I'll just continue with the kind of jumping around here. We didn't talk about this because, you know, we, we as you mentioned in our last episode, David, when you uh, brought on Derek Montella of the uh, Phoenix Sports Network, but we, we talked about, well, we didn't talk about Brandon Woodruff, of course, going down because that came out <clears throat> between the time we initially recorded and then you had to end up re-recording based on the changes of Woodruff and the, the excuse me, the D-backs uh, starting pitching decision. But how can you not love Brandon Woodruff? I mean, the press conference, like, I don't know. I, that's that, When I saw that, I was just like, I don't know how you don't love Brandon Woodruff. He's just a competitor that wants to be out there. And, he, and I mean, he spent majority of the season on the injured list, rehabbing to get back for that exact moment, only to have that taken out of your hands. And you never know. The Brewers have been in the playoffs five of the last six years, but you never know when that streak might end. So for him to miss a chance, I don't know, anything you'd add in terms of that uh, press conference and just the whole situation with Woodruff. It reminded me a little bit of the way that fans have, have kind of embraced Drew Holiday, the way that Woodruff is. Of course, Woodruff doesn't have the championship to his name that Holiday helped bring to Milwaukee with the Bucks, but the way that Holiday is approached as as a as a as a fan or like for Bucks fans, uh, both of us have, of course are Bucks fans. I think kind of similar to the way that Woodruff is approached. Woodruff is is the number two guy. Uh, he's still very good. Now there's a bigger difference between Giannis and Holiday in talent uh, compared to Burns and Woodruff, but Woodruff is is like he's just you everyone likes Woodruff uh, people <laughs> like Burns too but I think there's a generally stronger affinity for Woodruff that yeah it's one of those he's one of those players that you get attached to and you, you don't want to ever see Woodruff not in a Brewers uniform uh, Woodruff has made it clear that he wants to stay a Brewer uh, far more clear than Corbin Burns has so for that reason I hold hold out hope that that Woodruff might be extended this offseason uh, and maybe the Brewers will try to capitalize on a lower price. Maybe Woodruff will will want the security after dealing with injuries the last few years. Uh, we'll see. But I I think yeah. Woodruff, yeah, he's he's definitely a fan favorite, and and tough to see that video of of him crying. And you understand, yeah, all the work you put in uh, when you when you go through an injury as a fan, you're thinking like, oh man, he's out for this amount of time. But then he'll come back and he'll be fine. Uh, but you don't see all the work that gets put in. You don't see all the time where. Woodruff is watching everyone else on the field, but he can't be out there uh, the time in the training room. Uh, those those rehab exercises are so tedious. Uh, probably some of you have gone through maybe some of the exercises. I guess maybe not because you guys probably the general population hasn't hasn't had a major arm injury. Uh, but like you're you're sitting in there and 
like laying on the training table with the dumbbell you like have your arm at 90 degrees and move a dumbbell up and down like 45 times <laughs> every day and it's like <laughs> what am i doing and you it for woodruff you do that for three four months just to 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 make it back for for eight nine ten starts and uh, then have it taken away from you again i mean that's gut-wrenching if you're woodruff same with garrett mitchell right i mean yeah. different of course different players different caliber of players but and different he circumstances. worked yeah different circumstances but he worked crazy hard uh it sounds like the brewers were even surprised that he the brewers had the choice to put him on the roster and in some ways it's like man is it worth it for him to rush you know you don't want him to rush back um but he made it all the way back and yeah unfortunate for him of course that he that the brewers opted not to put him on the playoff roster um, but similar, you know, he worked really hard. Aaron Ashby actually maybe as well, didn't even make it back to the majors this year. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, it's hard to relate to those injuries. I didn't never had something like that. I know you did. Um, and what, what you go through for they that. Don't so you have an arm injury when you throw 76. That's true. Good thing. I didn't throw 76. Oh, really? <laughs> um, let's, let's jump back. I know we, we were getting in depth into the managerial analysis. I, I think there's two, two, two or three more points I, I wanted to take a look at. Um, I think the first would be Devin Williams in game one. We were both really surprised by that. We were, you know, you're counting down who's left in the bullpen. We're like, all right, we got Bryce Wilson. We got Trevor McGill. We've got Devin Williams. Who are they going to go to? You, you had said, well, I'm not going to go to Wilson because you want to keep the depth. Oh, Colin, Colin Ray. I forgot about Colin Ray too, but you, you're not going to go to Wilson or Ray. Um, you want to keep the depth in case they go to extras and make a comeback. So we're like, all right, McGill's comes in for the ninth. Makes sense. You save Williams. And and the Brewers are not Williams in the ninth. Um, to, I think, pretty much everybody's surprise, the Brewers opted to bring in Williams. Didn't go well. I don't know how much of that really matters. Um, was that just happenstance, or was that because Devin Williams wasn't in a safe situation? I'm not sure I completely buy that. But what are your thoughts on the Devin Williams appearance in game one? Ultimately, in a lot of ways, it didn't really matter because the Brewers didn't have a safe situation for him to pitch in game two or three anyways, but it certainly didn't go well in game one. Yeah, personally, I wouldn't have put Williams in there in that spot. Uh, of course, easy to say after the fact, uh, a little bit of a Thursday night quarterback, Thursday <laughs> night closer, well, manager, I guess in this case. Uh, but yeah, per I mean, I, I wouldn't have put him in. I know you want to preserve the lead. Uh, had the had this been game two, absolutely, I put Williams in if he didn't pitch in game one, and you need to save that lead. But in game one, with with a potential game two and three uh, on the horizon, I would not have gone to Williams in that spot, especially with Wilson there. Wilson had a good year, sub three ERA, and if Wilson pitches a good ninth inning, the Brewers tie it up. Then you go to Williams in the tenth, uh, or they take the lead and. Uh, well, I guess it'd be a walk-off. <laughs> yeah. So, so really, no so, I'm curious. So you, I would have gone to McGill. You, you said you'd go to Wilson. Why Wilson over McGill? Well, I mean, yeah, you, you really couldn't have gone wrong. I think with either Wilson or McGill, uh, because if you do, cause McGill could still give you two Wilson, Wilson, uh, could give you two to three, maybe if you absolutely need to, but you do have Ray back there still. Yeah. So I would have felt more okay with it yeah i guess maybe going to mcgill would have been a better option uh, but also wilson did have a little bit more success at the major league level this year than mcgill and when you need to keep the lead at four three to to try to 
strike in the ninth. Uh, any little bit of difference, I think, matters. Uh, and that's why Council went to Williams. But mm-hmm. I think it was a little bit more important to keep Williams for game two. I mean, if Williams would have gone 15, 20 pitches, it would have been okay. Uh, but because Williams threw 31, uh, that's where that's that's really what you were trying to avoid. I mean, I know Council Council knows that uh, he was. I'm sure he wasn't expecting Williams to throw 31 pitches, uh, but you had to know that was still a possibility. And I would have gone to Wilson. Didn't really end up mattering. Well, it did matter because he allowed the runs, but of course, yeah, he was our best guy who allowed the runs. So. I'm I'm it's possible Wilson allowed four in that spot or McGill would have allowed four in that spot. We don't know that, but, uh, but personally I would have gone to one of the two to keep Williams for the next day. Uh, and then if you get to that situation in game two and Williams hasn't pitched yet, uh, then definitely I throw Williams. Yeah, that makes sense. I would have gone to McGill personally just because of how he's pitched recently, but Wilson McGill. Yeah. I would have gone McGill keep Williams fresh. I think the, the last couple uh, of questions would be the pinch hitting decisions, which, are dramatically different. You know, I, I was thinking about 2018 and the the infamous double switch to get Josh Hader in and the Jonathan Scope, Domingo Santana, like all the pinch hitters. I, I do miss that a little bit, that you don't you don't get to use pinch hitters or there's not the value of pinch hitters as much as there used to be um, because of the DH. But the Brewers pinch hit Jesse Winker. Um, they did not pinch, Joe, pinch hit Joey Weimer for Sal Freelich, which I know some people were calling for. What was one big miss that that you think Council may have made in terms of pinch hitter? And then um, I got a second question that that I would like to ask as well after we get off that. But what what was one big miss you think, if any, Council had in terms of pinch hitting either for or against uh, decisions he made? To me, especially the second Winker pinch hit, the first one, I was saying I, I may have done the same thing if I were in Council's spot. Uh, would I have put Jesse Winker on the playoff roster in the first place? Probably not. I, I would have chosen Mitchell over Winker. Uh, and frankly, I'd rather Mitchell hitting in that spot than Winker. Uh, but I understood the rationale a little bit. Like I could understand where they were coming from. He did have a 320 on base percentage. Now I know he had 199 with a 247 slugging, which is terrible. But when there are situations where the only thing that matters is getting on base, however you can, and that's what the situation was. So if you're going to put Winker on the roster, uh, that's the situation you go to him in. Uh, he did perform similar to Turang, I guess, this year, but with a higher on-base percentage. And he was a right-handed pitcher. Now, would Monasterio have better been a better option to hit? Maybe. Uh, maybe I would have gone to Monasterio instead of Winker. Uh, but that was a situation that Winker was put on the roster for. But then when he looked so overmatched in Game 1, and I mean, remember, he hadn't faced a big league pitcher in over two months. Then to go back to him in basically the same spot in game two, that I thought was a pretty bad move considering how bad he had looked in game one. Uh, normally, I wouldn't base an entire evaluation off of one at bat. <laughs> it, well, it's not the entire evaluation because he had a he had a, a tough year. But uh, but I, I wouldn't put as much weight in it. But when it's his first at bat that we've seen at the major league level in a couple months, and he does nothing to show us that that anything's different or to give any hope that he's going to uh, reach base. I would not have gone to Winker, especially the second time. I can't re- recall off the top of my head what the scenario was with Turang. It was in game one, left-hander in. Um, so, well, actually, I could, I could probably figure I think it was it out. third inning. Second or third? Was it that early? 
Yeah, it that was, he was. It was. It was. Uh, it was the bottom of the third, second and third, with two outs, and Tori Lavello brought in Joe Mantiply. Yes, uh, for fought to to kind of force Council's hand. Do you stick with Terang in that spot, uh, or do you go to Monasterio and and force Council to take out Terang, the better defender, uh, that early in the game? And I, I yeah, I actually would have pinch at Monasterio because uh, it was tied three all at the time. Scoring even a, a Monasterio single would have gone a long ways. You score probably two because Willie was on second. Yeah, and you take a five-three lead if that happens. Terang looked completely overmatched at the plate. Uh, well, that was only a second at bat, so he I walked. Guess, I think he walked. Did he walk that? He game? walked that at bat. That actually. at bat. I mean, yeah. yeah, and loaded the bases. Tyrone ended up grounding out. Uh, so it's not like the move backfired mm-hmm. on Council by any means, but uh, but personally, I would have gone to Monasterio, and yeah, I thought yeah. Monasterio against the lefty. It's not like Monasterio is a huge downgrade at second defensively Monasterio's fine he's certainly capable defensively he's not terrain but he's still capable and in a tie game 3-3 and you got a good situation I would go to uh to Monasterio it, it was kind of like 2018 game seven when yep. is that what you're going to say yeah go ahead second inning and and they had runner on third or second and third with two outs and they pinch hit scope instead of Domingo and then they pinch it Domingo in the fifth with two outs, nobody on. Uh, I know it's later in the game, but when you have runners in scoring position early in a playoff game, uh, to me, you go to your pinch hitter in that spot. In, in Domingo and Scope's case, he was pinch hitting for the pitcher. Uh, in this case, it was pinch hitting for Terang, who is a significantly worse hitter right now than Monasterio or really, I mean, probably any of the bench bats except right. maybe Jesse Winker against the lefty. Yeah, right. And and, he, and they brought in a lefty to face him, mm-hmm. and, and the biggest thing for me was again didn't matter. No, uh, he walked, so okay. Um, but the biggest thing was the Brewers came out to a three nothing lead, and then Burns just got tagged for three. It's tied up. The Brewers have to win game one. The momentum right right here. If the Brewers can storm back and score two with a two out single, that'll go a long ways, giving Burns some breathing room, giving the Brewers some additional confidence, like. To me, that was a pivotal turning spot where turning point where the Brewers didn't cash in, and we saw more of that. And then, of course, we we know obviously what happened. But yeah, two rang walked. It is what it is. It didn't end up. Ma- it didn't really matter. But um, two rang was hitless in the two games. Looked for the most part overmatched. He had that walk. Then he had that bases loaded hit by a pitch that got called back, um, which was unfortunate. Um, but one random shout out, William Contreras, I believe. Throughout two runners yeah. in game one. And that was interesting because that was one of the angles some of the national writers had and like how the D-backs could steal the series would be no, actually no pun intended there stealing the series. Um, I literally did not uh, mean to say that, but I mean, you think about like ways that the, that the angle that you could take in terms of ways you see the D-backs winning the series. And that was one of them was, was stealing a bunch of bases. And I didn't pay attention in game two. Uh, if the D-back stole any or if Contreras threw anybody out. But Contreras threw out two guys, a, a pretty big one. I think I strike him out, throw him out, and he threw out a guy at, at third. Maybe that was the same play. I can't recall. But um, he kept him at bay for the for, for at least for game one, um, which I guess shout out to him, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, Contreras was, was good. Of course, he made the last out in game two. But as a whole, Contreras was good. Uh, that 
the base stealing, yeah, was what you were worried about a little bit. But Contreras threw out both runners in the first game, or at least two runners. I think though both, yeah, both. Yeah, both. Yeah, uh, and I don't, I don't think they stole a base in the series. Uh, um, I don't see any in game. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Walker stole one, and oh, Fam stole one in game okay. one. I guess I don't really remember those. Hmm. Oh, were they maybe first and third? Maybe. Maybe I forget. I think maybe yeah. Walker's was. That sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. No, Contreras. Contreras was good. He played a good game. Yeah. An unfortunate ending. Last at bat. Not very much like him. He was taking some hacks actually, though. Like first pitch in game one of every at bat, until he had a strike on him, he was just taking a hack. I feel like. Yeah. I don't really know. He's he's just a little bit kind of a loose cannon sometimes in what he does up there. Like he. Gets results. I mean, he batted 291 this year with 38 doubles. So, not it's not a knock at him, but he was taking some huge hacks. Um, first first pitcher until he got a strike. It seemed like I don't know if that was intentional or not. Yeah, I I don't know. Uh, he he would do some of those things in the regular season too. So it's not like yeah. that was a new approach, but yeah. yeah. I don't. Know. Anyways, but lots of lots of things to to break down and and review. But I think at the end of the day, of course, since that 2018 Game 7 when the Brewers were just one win away from making their second World Series appearance in franchise history, of course, Brewers now 1-9 in nine in their last 10 playoff games. I feel like I have to throw an asterisk in there that there were some 2020 playoff games as part of that. <laughs> like I feel like that's unfair <laughs> to, to, to bunch that in there. But no, the reality is 1-9 in nine in their last 10 playoff games, averaging less than two runs per game. What is it, David? Is that is that just random? I mean, it's ten games, but it's ten games. That's not, we're, it's not it's not twins, but it's still ten games. So is that is that just a fluke? Is that the way the Brewers are built? Like, wh- what do we do with that? I don't know if it's a fluke, but I also don't know that it's as meaningful as some pl- some fans are making it out to be. They haven't had a complete team in any of those years. Now I know not every playoff team is complete, and they still win games. Twenty eighteen, they weren't complete their their rotation was Yolis Chassin and and Wade Miley Gio Gonzalez but they've been significantly flawed uh, now that does involve a number of bad losses 2019 wild card game started the trend uh, with the the Soto go ahead hit uh, I don't know if that was a single double whatever it counted as uh, and yeah the 2020 uh, 21 I mean they had no offense really their offense was significantly worse that year than it was this year. Uh, I felt like in the past they had power, but they didn't have enough contact. This year they had enough contact, but they didn't have the power. Uh, winning games in the playoffs, uh, old school baseball people will tell you that you need a bunch of contact hitters. Uh, the analytics people will tell you you need a bunch of home run hitters. And I mean, the Brewers, this this series, it's you look at it and they they would have won if they hit homers or they would have won if they would have had a couple extra sack flies or RBI ground outs or a single in the right spot. So, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's, it's one of those things where I, I don't think it's like the Brewers are, are have a chronic losing problem in the playoffs. Is it Craig council's fault that the Brewers hit 125? Actually, no, they, they actually, their average with runners in scoring position was okay. Uh, even though they didn't cash in as much as they should have over these two games. But, uh, but yeah, I don't think it's some systemic problem that the Brewers have that they can't win in the playoffs. Uh, I think it's more so that that they're not as 
they they haven't been as good. Well, I don't know. You you kind of have to take it on a case by case basis because in twenty twenty one, they they lost to the Braves, who were I mean they they won the World Series. So twenty twenty, right. they the Dodgers they won the World Series. Nineteen, the Nationals they won the World Series. It's not like we were losing to uh, to um, the twenty twenty Reds or something in these series. So that's another consideration. Uh, now, should they be one and nine? No, they, they, they should be better than that, especially with as much talent as they have. Uh, but I don't think it's, it's some ineptitude on the Brewers front. Well, you, you said do the Brewers have, have they had a complete team? I mean, the reality is really when we look at world series winners, like the Phillies were talked about making the, the world series last year with some pretty big holes. Obviously the defense was a big one. But in terms of like the last five or 10 World Series winners, those teams were really solid, like really complete teams. I mean, the Astros last year, solid team, top to bottom. The Braves in 21, of course, eliminated the Brewers. The Dodgers in 20, that eliminated the Brewers. The Nationals in 19 maybe were a little bit less complete than... But they were able to the, rely on their high-end talent uh, with Rendon yeah. and Soto. Uh, they had, Turner they had, there yeah, too. Yeah, Turner. And they they seemed like they'd always have one guy step up that was a, a Howie Kendrick or or yeah. Ryan Zimmerman uh, and then the three starters Scherzer, right. Strasburg, Corbin which the Brewers had that of course until Woodruff got hurt and yeah. it, this one to me would have stung a little more if Woodruff had been healthy and you lost because to me this was the most complete roster the Brewers had going into a postseason uh, for sure at least since 18 I, I don't know if I'd say more than 18 I mean, that team won 96 games in the regular season but at least since 18, I thought this was the most complete mm-hmm. team. But then when Woodruff went down, it felt a, quite a bit less likely that the Brewers were going to to make a deep run. And I would feel maybe a little bit different. Uh, it still is a difficult pill to swallow that, that the Brewers got eliminated so fast. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we'll see. Uh, as Jerry DePoto said, maybe they're they're actually doing us a favor by by asking us to be patient for a World Series in the quest to win 54% of their games. What's the 54%? He said that, that they found that uh, te- the, the most successful teams are the ones that over a 10 year period, win 54% of their games. And that's it's basically, it. he basically reiterated the bites of the apple strategy uh, to the fans, but basically and who was that Jerry DePoto, uh, the Mariners GM. So basically, basically uh, the old, like, not the old. It's not like it's some old baseball thing. But but what other teams are doing now too, where it's like, oh, we're starting to get too good. We better downgrade a little bit so that in four years we're <laughs> we're, we're better. But then in four years when we're actually good, then we'll downgrade yeah. again. Yeah. Uh, so we boost the farm system. Uh, do you go all in for one year? I, I don't know if I I don't know if I'd say that. But uh, but that was yeah. Anyways, that's kind of the strategy behind it. And yeah, and, which which actually leads leads me to. Yeah, mention the latest YouTube video that you've put out, David, in terms of how the Brewers managed to build a really excellent farm system, triple A pitcher of the year, double A pitcher of the year, both Brewers this year, and also be competing for a World Series. So any any elaboration or thoughts uh, on the on the video or, or why others should should take some time to watch that video? Well, spoiler alert, they didn't contend very well for a World Series this year. I put it out before the series. Uh, but it's basically about yeah how the Brewers built an elite farm system while they were also building a contender, which uh, is you know it's frustrating as a fan at times like like the hater trade 
uh, or when they don't seemingly go as all in as they could. But to me, the big test is what they do with these next five, six years, because these next five, six years, they've got they've got the rookies who were up this year. Sal Freelich, Weimer, Terang, Mitchell, uh, Contreras is is under control for another four years. And then in AAA, you've got Churio, Robert Gasser, who was named International League Pitcher of the Year. You've got Jefferson Quiro at AA. Tyler Black uh, was on the cusp of a big league debut by the end of the year. Carlos Rodriguez. So they've got they've got plenty of prospects that now you say, okay, if if we if we trade Burns or if we extend Adames and Woodruff or some combination of of those, then you're looking at maybe a very good team for the next four or five years. Uh, but to me, then you, you you go all in. You, you try to win a World Series, and uh, I think maybe this this one in nine stretches is indicative of their bites of the apple strategy. We made it to the playoffs, and they say it's a crapshoot in the playoffs. Is it though? Because you, your goal this whole time has been to be a ninety win team that makes the playoffs, but then when you make the playoffs, uh, you fold. So yeah, sure. In eighteen, that was a great run, uh, but you you didn't win a pennant. To me. Like it's not like you can't have a successful season without winning a pennant, but to me the pennant—if you win a pennant, like that is a very successful season. That's quite an accomplishment. Uh, but short of that, you can't really celebrate uh, anything short <laughs> of winning a pennant. So I, I think maybe maybe it'll wake up the front office a little bit to say we need to be better if we want to actually win a World Series, uh, or maybe they'll they'll continue the strategy and the Brewers will. Uh, will get lucky one time and and or play well, get hot at the right time, or maybe they'll keep doing this. Uh, we'll see. I, I don't. I don't think the playoffs are a complete crapshoot, uh, but there certainly is some luck involved. Yeah. Well, and, and you said get hot. I mean, the Brewers. The Brewers were playing well, right? Were, the Brewers but, were playing well. But there's almost, and, and and they lined up everybody. Well, yeah, and, and they didn't have Woodruff. True. Um, but. But also how you're playing in September doesn't always translate. It does sometimes. I mean, Arizona yeah. Arizona limped into the postseason. You're right. You're kind right. of stumbled upon a postseason berth, a la 2020 Brewers. Uh, yeah. Okay, that's kind of disrespectful. But <laughs> the 2020 Brewers are like the worst postseason team in MLB history. I, I just We were under their, 500. We were under 500. We were, I just pulled up their yeah. roster. Ray Black. Josh yep. Lindblom, Justin Topa, Eric Yardley, David Freitas, Jacob Nottingham, Ryan Healy, Jed Jerko. Jed Jerko, okay, he was actually good. Uh, <laughs> he was. Eric Sogard, yeah. Ben Gamble. These are Jed Jerko was shouted out on uh, on the YouTube video. I, I highly recommend. I, I enjoyed it. It was I, it was a good uh, way to reminisce about uh, the the good old days of the '80s and uh, the good old days of the 2020. Plus, you know, it would have been great to see the Brewers make a pen, and I was really looking forward to the 2073 50th anniversary of the 2023 Brewers instead we'll um, you know the Bre- 90 years oh yeah in uh, absolutely but when would that be 2072 oh well, I meant I meant if they would have won the pennant this year the the 2073 oh. 50th year anniversary of 2023 I could have taken taken my grandkids to to the game but yeah do you think uh, do you think Jesse Winker would have been would have been there in attendance for the reunion. Oh, he would have had a bobblehead by now. Oh, probably. in 2073. Yeah, absolutely. They would have. They would have like rewritten the history books. Maybe if it was the Orioles, <laughs> would have changed the stats. Yeah. So let's. I think a good way to close. There's. There's a lot to talk about this off season. Big, big looming questions. I think the. 
I, maybe it's not the biggest one, but I, I, I don't know. I think it is. Craig Council. Uh, everybody knows. Is, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Corbin well, Burns is a Burns close is a second, match, though. True. Yeah. So Craig uh, Council's future the, is, is the certainly Wilson a huge club one. Club option decision. I go or back the Andrew Chafin. That. It, it keeps me up at night. <laughs> it would. It, it definitely would. So uh, topics to consider just more as uh, things to think about. We're, we're going to pause and digest the season here over the next couple episodes now that we're sadly into the off season already like you said just like that blinked and we're here so looking at what's craig council's future in milwaukee and if if not who are some of the candidates uh spoiler alert former brewer gabe kapler yeah gabe Gabe kapler though is uh is available that would be an interesting one as i just said we're not going to talk about this but i couldn't help myself but kapler kapler is available We'll see uh, what ends up happening, but Corbin Burns, huge question mark. What do the Brewers decide to do in in their next? I mean, this is probably the biggest decision of the franchise over the next five years. Corbin Burns going into his contract year in twenty twenty four. So, what do they do with him? Brandon Woodruff, Willie Adames. So we always throw those three in the mix in terms of extensions and letting him play out. Question mark in terms of first base with Carlos Santana being a free agent. A couple of player options in Mark Canna, Wade Miley, Justin Wilson, and Andrew Chafin. Miley. Uh, the only one of those being a mutual option, likely not to be picked up. And then the Brewers free agents, not a ton of them and not a huge, huge impact players. Jesse Winker, unfortunately, is a free agent. But uh, Car- Carlos Santana, like I mentioned, Victor Caratini, J.D., Josh Donaldson, Darren Ruff, definitely forgot about Darren Ruff. And then uh, a pair of nondescript pitchers in Julio Tehran and Colin Ray, who actually played a decent role in the 2023 Brewers. So, and, and finally, David, what's the uh, final topic that, that you've got for us in the off season? Uh, would it be advantageous for the Brewers to trade Devin Williams? We talked about Burns, talked about, uh, talked about Adames and Woodruff. Uh, but I think Devin Williams should consider it. Not because I want the Brewers to get rid of Williams. Uh, I would love for Williams to be a Brewer for a long time. Uh, but, but I think when you factor in a couple things, and a potential return, maybe you consider it. You field calls on him, and we'll is that based that off of his last episode. appearance? Yes, is that based off I his hate last Devin appearance? Williams, he's really bad at pitching. <laughs> he needs to. Be that was it. I, I, you, you said you you brought it up, and I was like, trade Devin Williams. That never crossed my mind. So I'm intrigued to hear. I'm, I'm intrigued to hear it. I know we don't have the the time uh, to go through it, and uh, we're still emotionally processing the. Uh, early exit. So I'm not sure we have time to, we're in the emotional state to start talking about trading away Devin Williams, but um, I'm, I'm curious to hear your take on it. Um, and for those that are concerned for, uh, for David explaining that, and uh, I, I'll be here to argue against it because I don't know if I <laughs> and, like that idea. And to be clear, I'm not, I'm not advocating the Brewers blow up this team. Some people are saying all oh, this team one and nine in the last 10 playoff games, this team clearly needs to rebuild. Tw- call me again in 2027. No, I yeah. mean, th- clearly this yeah. team is doing things right. They've averaged 88, 89 wins over the past six full years. Uh, so they, they've had plenty of success. Uh, but yeah, they may need to tweak a couple yeah. of things, especially with Burns, Adamus, Woodruff going to walk years. Uh, so that'll be a big yeah. off-season topic to tackle. I think I think the next maybe the next two episodes we'll have will be more of, more of recap episodes for the whole season. We'll go over grades. Uh, we won't We won't spend like... 20 minutes on each player or something like that. Uh, but I was thinking of maybe keeping it to one minute for each player. Uh, 
and we won't do every player, uh, but maybe spread that out across like two episodes and, and grade the team as a whole council, that kind of thing. Uh, and then, and then maybe when the world series is over, we'll begin our off season coverage or maybe the week before the, the off season starts. Uh, so make sure you keep listening because we will have a lot of stuff. I kind of like our off season episodes almost better than regular <laughs> season. I always say that uh, they're, yep. it, they're allowed, there allows more creativity uh, and they're more, more just kind of random, interesting things to talk about than, uh, than analyzing Craig Council's bullpen management in the eighth inning of a game against Kansas City on July 17th. Fair, fair. And, and to, to, to go back to your point, the Brewers' current team is not one and nine in the last 10 playoff games. No. Because, right, I mean, there's so many new players, Canna, Santana, Contreras, like Uribe, like Piamps. I mean, so, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, the, the main, the main uh, constant there is Council. And to say Council's the reasons that they're one and nine is hard to believe when he's pulled as the best manager in all baseball yeah. by the players. Yeah. So, yeah. well, Yelich, too. And there are a few yeah. players, Yelich and yeah. Freddie and yeah. Woodruff, Hauser. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. There's, there's some overlap, but yeah, I think, I think we'll end on that. Uh, the Brewers again, the early exit of the 2023 season, a, a eulogy to the 2023 Brewers. Sad to see the season go, but a lot to like in terms of um, what some of the seasons that, that we did see. And it is going to be a very, very interesting off season. I think there's going to be, if there's not a lot of action um, and the Brewers decide to hold on to those big three players we're talking about, there's certainly, there's certainly be plenty of conversation um, in terms of the manager and ultimately what the Brewers decide to do. So like David said, hang on for a couple more, at least a couple more episodes. You can, you can leave us halfway through the off season. That's fine. We'll talk about like, the, the origin stories of the bratwurst racing sausage or something that David will pull out um, or some, some fun guest we'll have, but maybe we'll get Dillard back on in the off season too. I think that'd be, that'd be a lot of fun, um, but stay tuned. Uh, we got a lot more coming as we move past the end of the Brewers 2023 season. So we'll always have you covered at the barrel again, go check out David's latest YouTube video. Well worth uh, your time uh, again, how the Brewers were able to contend for a world series and hopefully continue to contend for a world series while building an excellent farm system. And with that, this is Peter and David Go signing off. As always, go Brewers.